What an amazing passage we have in front of us this morning. It is pretty well known, well, well most of it is anyway, in particular the bit about loving. But what isn't so well known is how glory fits with this love. Jesus is talking about two different topics, but it, he is linking them together in a spectacular way. Jesus sums up Christian teaching in a couple short, simple sentences. I'll give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. But it also talks about bringing glory to God, about being glorified and glorifying God. At the end of the day, though, after all the doctrine has been debated, after all the traditions have been lived out, after all the hymns have been sung, after all the liturgies have been said, we are left with just one thing, love. When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, he wrote not only about what love is, he also wrote, it, wrote about it in the terms of our eternity. It is all about love. In the final analysis, love is all that is important. Whatever else you think born Anglican is about, it must be a place of love, where people are met by the love of God for them, where people feel loved and accepted without judgment, where people are free to express their love for others and back to God. The problem is we use the word love in a whole raft of things and meanings. I mean, I love my job. I love Mumford and Sons. I love pizza. I love YouTube. I love my laptop. None of them are quite the same as I love Joe. The word love means different things in each of those contexts. Love is a changeable word. Its meaning alters according to the context in which we use it. In this section of John's Gospel, it's known as the farewell discourse. From this, from here until chapter 16, it is full of Jesus explaining to the disciples that he is going away and that they can't follow him. Yet, those chapters are full of the, some of the most precious and intimate teachings of the New Testament. They are full of comfort, challenge and hope. They're full of deep and unusual personal relationships that Jesus longs to have with each of his followers. We also shouldn't be surprised that they are full of some of the richest theological insights. But the prelude to all those chapters is this one about love and how this love brings glory to God. But there's something quite puzzling about this commandment because Jesus starts off with, I'll give you a new commandment that you love one another. So why did Jesus call this a new commandment? 
Well, firstly, let's look at why Jesus is saying these things to the disciples. You would have noticed that Jesus gives this new commandment when somebody leaves the room. That person being Judas. There is a sense here that Jesus knew what what Judas was up to. Judas's soon-to-be public betrayal of Jesus was going to be anything but loving. So he waits for him to leave. But read how the mood in the room changes. As Judas leaves, Jesus seems to get very excited. Verses 31 and 32, glory, glory, glory. Jesus is overwhelmed with glory. Yes, the coming events will unveil God's glory with Jesus' own vocation rushing towards its conclusion and bringing glory to God. But Jesus also gives them probably the simplest, simplest, clearest and yet hardest commandment of all, love one another. But why is it new? Love isn't a new commandment in the Old Testament. God had commanded people to love one another. Leviticus 19.18 commanded Israel, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. What's new about this sentence is the rest of the sentence. I'll give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That is the new angle to love that we are to love as Jesus has loved us. It hasn't been easy for the disciples up to this point. They have struggled to understand what Jesus had been doing on their behalf. Now he's telling them to copy him. As I said on Good Friday, what Jesus is pointing them to is to look back over his whole life, his whole way and manner of life, and find a pattern, the shape, an example, a power. I also said with Jesus' example of washing feet that many churches, that this had become an example of leadership and had produced a type of inverted pride, a pride in one's own humility. But with love, there is no danger of that. The type of love Jesus is talking about is all about the other person and because of that it helps us serve not to show off not to show how hard we work not to build our own status but to elevate the importance of the other this is to be our badge of born verse 35 by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is our badge we wear to the rest of the world. Our love for each other and others is the strongest argument for the Christian faith. But this as we read, but sorry, as we read this, we should also cringe about how the church has behaved and the way we have treated each other down the years. We have turned the gospel into a weapon. We have used it to beat others over the head. We have drowned each other 
We have burnt people at the stake with it. We have interpreted the one and other as those who agree with me, to love only those who agree with me. We need to embrace our differences. Yes, there is some wacky theology out there. We need to be discerning. But what I find interesting in the gospel message that we get from Jesus is how this strange purpose of God, that love and betrayal, glory and denial, all go so closely together. As I said earlier, Jesus also spoke about glory. So how do we bring glory to God? It's a hard question to answer, but there is a clue in our reading. It's not an answer, it is a clue. God's glory is the going public of his infinite worth of holiness of God, the infinite value of God. When we go public, when we live in unity, in love, it is how we live with each other and how we relate to the people that it becomes real. When the rest of the world look at the people of God, when they see the joy, the peace, the happiness, the shalom we have, or when they walk into this building and they get a sense of unity of love. When we live as Jesus described, as living as his disciples, we bring glory to God. Jesus lived the life, lived his vocation, lived the life that God had called him to. And, and in that, he brought glory to God. It is in the public display, like I said, the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God, both individually and corporately, as a community of God's people, we bring glory to God. God gives us lots of opportunities to bring glory to him. Fortunately for most of us, I'm going to suggest this morning, that it is unlikely that we are going to be asked to go as far as both Jesus and Peter to bring glory to God. But it might just be a simple smile. It may be as simple as sitting down and listening to the other's story. Or it may be far more complicated. It may cost our time and our energy or other sacrifices. But whatever it is, we are given events daily to love others, to show the type of love Jesus showed and to bring glory to God. And in my thinking, and from my reading of this passage, if we bring glory to God, if God is glorified, we too will be glorified by God. Amen.